Well, there's not anything that really sticks us in the midst of ordinary time so much as questions around taxes. Would you agree? It's quite ordinary. It's an ordinary question. And Todd shared with me earlier this week a clipping from the Lancaster newspaper. And it was a piece by the retired Mennonite pastor named Mark Wanger. And in it, Reverend Wanger talks about two passports that he carries. One has been issued by the United States of America. It's the passport he uses to travel internationally. It identifies him as a citizen of the United States. Mark describes another passport, his certificate of baptism. It identifies him as a citizen of another country altogether, another kingdom, an upside down kingdom, a kingdom ushered forth by Jesus in which the last shall be first and the first shall be last, a kingdom which belongs to the poor in spirit, a kingdom that will be inherited by those who are meek, who have been trodden under the feet of others, humiliated within our society. And Mark describes his experience as one of dual citizenship, a complex intersection of identity to be sure. You see, for the dual citizen, it's not a question of if, but when our citizenships will inevitably bump up against points of friction and our loyalties will be strained. It happens all the time, doesn't it? And this concept of dual citizenship felt really fitting for this week's scriptures. As we enter the narrative, Jewish people are gathered in the temple, crowded around Jesus, They've come to this place to participate in the rituals that they pray will help them to make some meaning out of their complex lives. They come to this place because no other container seems to hold the gravity of their experiences, their concerns, their toils, their yearnings. And this day, they come to this place looking for Jesus because they are in need of some good news. They come to the temple for the same reason that we come to this meeting house, week in and week out, to receive something. Perhaps they're not even sure what. And there he is, Jesus, teaching. But pretty soon, some other people show up for some very different reasons. Pharisees have been working throughout the book of Matthew to undermine Jesus' teachings. This story in Matthew 22 is part of a controversy series initiated by the Pharisees who have already decided at this point to kill him. Their minds are made up. And they are looking for any way possible to sabotage and destroy Jesus' ministry. So they team up with some unexpected friends. 
On one hand, we have the Herodians who were overt supporters of the Roman regime because it was from Rome that they were receiving their power and privilege in this place. On the other hand, we have the Pharisees who were religious leaders of a resistant party who didn't want to pay taxes, didn't want to be under Roman occupation. And they were passionate about maintaining the Jewish law because they believed it distinguished them as a chosen people of God. So in the eyes of the Pharisees, the Herodians were turncoats. They had sold out to the Roman Empire for power and privilege. But nothing brings people together much like a common enemy, am I right? We see it all the time. So these unlikely friends get together and they develop an intellectual trap for Jesus and they think they have got him. Now before they come right out with their question, they hit him with some flattery first. Have you ever been in a situation like this? Like someone starts to butter you up because they're preparing to cook you, right? It's like a Thanksgiving turkey. And they say, teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show no deference to people. You do not regard people with partiality. These aren't compliments. They are challenges. They're saying, Jesus, we know that you don't show preference to any one person. You know, you don't treat the Pharisees different than you treat anyone else, tax collectors. You don't mince your words, Jesus. So don't mince your words now. That's what they're doing. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? They are trying to ensnare Jesus in the trap of the unconscious either-or dilemma. And I am here to tell you right now, beware of situations that are posed to you as either-or. This way of posing questions is often unnecessarily limiting. So often, society presents us with either or, doesn't it? Are you traditional in your interpretation of scripture, or are you progressive? It's one we wrestle with all the time in our midst, right? Are you pro-life, or are you pro-abortion? Nothing like a good either or. Are you religious or not? Are you racist or are you anti-racist? Either or situations function to keep us operating at a level of unconsciousness. When I worked in human services, people were presented with either or situations all the time. Well, either you would probably want your loved one to go to a day program, or maybe you'd want them to be in supported employment. Those are your options. We would go into services, and 
on all of the pamphlets, they would talk about all the plethora of choices. We're about empowering people to make choices. And then we would sit within the services that people were being served in. And very oftentimes those choices were, do you want to do yoga or not? What do you want for dinner, peas or carrots? Do you want to go to the Halloween store or not? They were choices that were not choices. Participate or not. The Daily Chuckle puts it this way. The problem with the world today is we have a surplus of easy answers and a shortage of easy questions. But the either or in this story is no arbitrary either or. This question is designed to either alienate the Jewish nationalists or to make Jesus subject to Roman arrest. Either tick off the people you're trying to minister to or go to the dungeon. And you would think by now that the Pharisees would have learned that if you're looking for unconsciousness, Jesus is not the place to go. They've asked him not to mince words, and so he doesn't. Jesus knows what they're up to, and he calls them out plainly. He says, why are you putting me to the test? You hypocrites. Come on. Show me the coin that you use to pay taxes. So the Pharisees bring Jesus a denarius, and Todd brought me a denarius this morning. It's a coin, you can see it pictured on the front of your bulletin page there. It has an image of the Emperor Tiberius on the front. He was the active Caesar of the day. And the translation of the inscription on the coin is Tiberius Caesar August, son of the divine Augustus, high priest. This is a clever move. Isn't it interesting how the currencies within our days um, are also serve as propaganda? They have faces on them, faces that tell a story about who we are and where our allegiance lies. We have faces of our own, don't we? This clever move of Jesus asking, bring me the coin, allows onlookers to see for themselves what Jesus already knows. Jesus is the one being put on the spot, but it's his questioners who are more deeply entangled with and complicit in the exploitative economics of empire. Jesus' pockets are empty. He doesn't pull out a denarius for himself. But his opponents have no trouble supplying the coin. A coin that carries propaganda of empire that Caesar is God. That Caesar is whom the people must depend on. How many of us depend on our Caesars? How many of us depend on social media accounts that we talk and talk and talk about deleting but haven't brought ourselves to do it yet? 
how many of us rage against everything that Jeff Bezos stands for and yet still click add to cart. We're deeply entangled in empire, aren't we? We find ourselves always at the intersection of faith and capitalism, faith and the democratic republic, faith and militarism, faith and racism, faith and patriarchy. And I can't help but wonder if Jesus' response to the Pharisees and the Herodians isn't just clever, but filled with radical, compassionate wisdom. Give therefore to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God the things that are God, knowing the complexities of dual citizenship. Jesus introduces the people to a multiplicity of currencies. The commentator Lance Pape puts it this way. He says, in my imagination, I see Jesus' eyes raising to meet those of his opponents after having asked whose image was on the coin, confronting each of them with an unspoken question hanging in the air, and you, my friend, whose image do you bear? There are other currencies to be concerned with, he shares. Now, people have puzzled over centuries about what this phrase means. And people have read all kinds of politics into what Jesus says here. They've argued that Jesus doesn't really care about how we spend our money because the real currency is ourselves, right? Anyone heard that message before? Or they argue that we should always follow the law of the government in power because we render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Or they say, well, there's a division between the realms of humanity and the heavenly realms. They don't really overlap. Or they say that Jesus is arguing for a separation of church and state. And we may all have varying opinions about any of those statements, but Jesus says none of those things here. He leaves us to sort out the question of currency. What belongs to Caesar? What belongs to God? I wonder if it's because he knows that we exist in power structures that can sometimes be beyond our control. He's looking at a group of people sitting in a temple under occupation. Is he really going to tell this group of vulnerable citizens, stop paying your taxes and just let's see what happens? I wonder if it's because he knows that sometimes those power structures need to be subverted and resisted. There are times that call for action and activism when people's lives are on the line. I wonder if it's because he knows that at times the powers and principalities of this world serve to distract us of, between the interpersonal nature of the relationships we have with our immediate neighbors. Does that ever happen? We miss the trees because of the forest. And at times, perhaps, the immediate interpersonal relationships we hold serve as distractions from what is going on with the powers and principalities in our midst. 
We lose the forest through the trees. Because we don't live in a complex, sorry, we don't live in a world of either or. The world is complex and our dual citizenship complexifies it even more. It requires wisdom and cuttingness and compassion. Perhaps that's why when we find Moses, he is pleading in chapter 33 of Exodus saying, if your presence will not go, do not bring us up out of here. I don't want to go if you are not coming. He begs God to go with the people. He begs them to show the people God's ways. He begs to see God face to face because he knows that he cannot navigate this wilderness alone. So friends, as we fumble through the wilderness of dual citizenship, on a daily basis, trying to decide what belongs to Caesar and what belongs to God. We are promised, my presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. My presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. Amen.